Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week comes from the 1990s. and is a David Fincher modern day classic. Not Lynch like last week. Rick, it's Fight Club. And Rick, I have a feeling we're about to break a couple of rules this week, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Fight Club. Is this a Joe Rogan listener's wet dream? No, this is Fight Club. In this story of cinema's most confusing yet thrilling threesome, we meet a victim of consumerism, someone unable to hold meaningful relationships, a full-fledged insomniac. Park, are we talking about a Minecraft Discord mod? No, this is Fight Club. Featuring every brand you've ever seen thrown in a trash can, Brad Pitt's abs, dick slips and man tits, this is Fight Club. Rick, that was just a wonderful recap of a wonderful movie. I really, uh, I like the thrilling threesome. It sounds like, it sounds like a tongue twister. Thrilling Say, threesome, thrilling threesome, thrilling threesome. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, it is. It really it is. It is, Rick. Just like the movie, Park, it's a twist. A lot it, of twists. It's very, it's very it's a, twisty, Rick. It's a mind twister. Don't you love a good movie with a twist? I really do, Park. And you know, we're getting started with this podcast. We're going to get into it. That's point out, Park. We're matching today. We are. We both uh, have is, our little fleece jackets on, whatever you want to call them. It's, it's crazy. Was it on purpose, or is it maybe because one of us is a split personality of the other? Am, am I? Am I just recording this with myself, or are you just recording it with yourself? I think if anyone is just the is not real and is actually just a personality, it's probably me. You're, you're talking for both sides. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're probably the real person, and I would be your your imagination. We would, we would really fit this mold really well. We would. The, We're very different, but also the same. You're exactly like Brad Pitt in every way, down to the abs. Rick, do you want me to pull my shirt up and show the abs right now? You can, but All right, here we go. the watchers. Hold on. Oh, there they are. Oh, Woo! my gosh, Park. Woo! Woo! Oh, 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 my gosh. My hand was in front of the camera by accident. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, well... Maybe next time, guys. But if you've seen a picture of Brad Pitt with his shirt off, you've seen a picture of me with my shirt off. So, no different. It is It is literally Parker. Uh, there's a rumor going around that they actually just, like, put Brad Pitt's face on me in movies. It is. I just saw that rumor. It's kind of like, that was actually one of the first times they were really testing out that, like, kind of face scan technology. It was back in 1999. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Look it up. It's on the internet somewhere, I bet. So, Park, obviously this movie's confusing. I think there is... A lot of different takes on this movie. Maybe confusing isn't the word. Controversial. Controversial is the word because you can look at this movie from all different angles. People even say that it hasn't aged well. Some people say it's aged very well. So I guess even just from your perspective, what do you think about this movie? What is it about? This is what I took from this movie. Not saying that it's right. Not saying that it's wrong. It does reach on a brevity of topics. Uh, but a couple that come to mind for me is the critique and take on hypermasculinity and socioeconomic classes. It's about this idea that we as men have been suppressed in this modern day society. One of the things that Tyler Durden says is that we're a generation of men raised by mothers and that we're directionless. And so it kind of dives deep into this idea that society owes us something as men that we weren't given. And it shows and depicts this lashing out behavior against society and creating chaos. And while these group of men lash out against society, they don't really 
have any solutions to this. They're all about critiquing society, causing chaos, being agents of chaos, but not moving society in any which direction. And I think that that's kind of this idea that kind of plays into the, the hypermasculinity idea and the hypermasculinity, toxic masculinity, if you want to throw that word out there as well, of men entering into this primal behavior and not creating a sustainable environment. And then also, just to dive even even more into it, Edward Norton's character, who doesn't have an, a name technically in this movie, he goes by the narrator, has this arc of being this person separated from the rest of society. He was really separated himself from everyone else, and even his emotions as well. Going through this story, going through this journey, eventually coming out on the other side, um, being able to connect with someone else, not just lashing out against society and having this all about me persona, what do I get out of this, but reaching beyond himself and caring about something more than, than himself when he enters into this relationship with Marla. Yeah, so to add on to that comment, Park, is I really want to talk about the kind of this consumerism narrative that is in, that's in the movie, right? So like we're throwing all these brands right in our faces. Uh, and like, honestly, even today, like we see all these YouTuber challenges of I'm going to buy every single thing that was advertised to me for the next 24 hours and all this stuff in the movie, the, the movie like does that. It's very anti-consumerism. Our narrator in this movie, the character pretty much has the, what the American dream is, right? Like he has a stable job. He make he probably makes a lot of money. He like pretty nice apartment, fully furnished with like all this crap from Ikea and like you know he's not the richest person but he can get literally anything that he wants but it's this idea of he has the stable job he has whatever he wants but he still feels empty right so it's like nothing's like working I would relate it to today and honestly like whether you're a man whether you're not there's these ways of coping in today's world that like we're taught or this, like these are great distractions to help you cope because the world is tough like if you have the money if you have the job but like Maybe you're not making that many friends. Just go get lost in video games. And, like, video games isn't bad. You can make a lot of friends on video games with it. But it's same with, like, go get lost in alcohol. Go to a bar. You'll meet people at a bar. You'll meet people here. Like, go to all these different places, and maybe you'll meet people. Maybe you'll find more meeting in your life because you're not getting it from all this crap that you keep buying. Right? It's all these different things that are pushing into us to buy, 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 and it'll get better. It'll get better. That's the American dream. When in reality, it's just, like, it's, there's a lot of just emptiness there. That's a great take, Rick. I was listening to an interview from the screenwriter, Jim Ewells, and some of the inspiration that he took from his own life, from just things that he saw in the world in writing this script. There were a couple of interesting things that I thought. One of the things that he brought up was the, the self-help industry, um, where there's so many books and pieces of media that are really catered towards women. And you know, being this multi-million, multi-billion dollar industry. And he was looking around, he's like, there's not a lot, not a, a whole lot of stuff that's really catered towards men and towards kind of the primal instincts and behaviors that men have. And so one of the inspirations for writing this script was to have this be a piece of material that shows men in an environment where they are just physical, where they kind of go back to more instinct instinctual behaviors um, and such so that was an interesting comment that he said and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting is he was talking about how he went on a trip um, 
over the weekend and he was at a bar and he ended up getting into a bar fight and he got this really bad black eye. He was so concerned because Monday he was going back to work and he was like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to ask about this and it's going to be a bit, this big deal. And he goes to work with this black eye and no one says anything. No one mentions it. Hardly anyone looks him in the eye. You know, they, they act and behave like it doesn't exist. I think he even brought up something about someone walking up to him, one of his coworkers, and being like, hey, how was your weekend? You know, like, <laughs> just in a very casual way. And he found that to be so interesting that people, like, in our office spaces, in our workplaces, in these certain communities of our lives, don't want to enter into another realm. They want to stay there, and we're so concerned about just the social norm and the social regularity that we're willing to just avoid those type of conversations when something so drastic as of like having a black eye is something to be talked about. And so that plays into the fact of whenever he's at the office and he's always, you know, he's always beat up or he's got all this blood on him, and there's not one time he's at work where anyone asks him directly about it. No one directly comes to it. There's plenty of people that look at him, that are shocked by him, but no one converses with him about it. So I thought that that was really, really fascinating and portrayed really well in this movie. Yeah, well, just like no one wants to like reach out and build relationships. And I also, I really like that, like, kind of like there's no like self-help, I guess, market for men. I just like think about like today, today's version almost of like Fight Club. It's like, hey, if, if you're feeling down, if you don't know, if you're like a man, you're feeling down, you uh, have no meaning, you read Into the Wild and just go hike the Appalachian Trail and you'll find your meaning on the trail. It's just funny. It's just like trying to create direction almost. What I like about the movie is it plays on these so on so many themes, right? And like, I even want to get away from the point of there's a lot about like, just like, of, of just the point of just like men and like toxic masculinity. First of all, I do want to say a lot of people, I think, are don't like the movie because of like it it it, uh, it represents the wrong thing it teaches the wrong things as they say i think they're watching the movie very shallowly and i think i almost want to stand by that brad pitt's character is utterly ridiculous <laughs> like no one should be looking at him as a role model and like that's kind of the point he's supposed to be ridiculous and edward norton's character is like that's the like father role model that he kind of concocted like that's the ideal man that he wants to be and it's because there's no role model. Like, that's, to me, that's the point. Like, growing up without role models, we're going to grasp on to, like, these crazy things. I remember I had, all these, I had like, a cult class in college, and he practically created, like, a religion, right? Like, the Fight Club is a religion. There's even this moment where Edward Norton's character is bruised and, like, bloodied on the ground, and they kind of, like, lift him up, and he's, like, hanging almost like this, like, Jesus-like image they're trying to portray, that like he's like their savior that he saved them from this cruel world because they're just reaching out for something they're like they wanted to grasp on to this like help and it's just it's just how cults are it's like how cults are made like people want meaning you know mm -hmm. people want to feel something and i mean go back to the narrator at the start of the the movie he couldn't feel anything he had no emotion he couldn't connect with anybody he was going to these meetings of people dying just so that he could feel something it really speaks into us as humans, as men, and our longing and desire to feel connected, to feel meaning, to find purpose. And it goes back to what you were saying about consumerism and finding purpose there. And that's not really where we as humans find our purpose. We find it through connections with others in a lot of ways. 
Oh, definitely. Well, because that, that's just where it is. It's like it's where the world is. And like, I don't want to say it's America. I really think it's just culture. It's like if you don't have a role model, there's like that, like the Joe Rogan hype. There's like the Joe Rogan culture, right? There's the, I don't want to say meathead, but there's like the meathead workout culture. Then there's the hype boy, I got to make money, I got to get out of the nine to five culture. So there are these markets that like YouTube has created for men to like feel like meeting. It's like, you got to break out of the nine to five, follow my rules, join my discord server, learn how to invest and like follow my workout program. That's like the new, it's the new thing. It's just like, it's just funny how Fight Club in like 1999, it's really like, it's still a commentary about that. It is ridiculous things that is trying to give us meaning. I do want to bring up something. I think um, the whole idea around Fight Club, I think there is some level of validity to it. So a few years ago, I spent a summer out um, in California at Lake Tahoe with a group of people. And there was a, a large group of guys. And one of the things that we did while we were out there is we lived right next to the, the lake. And so it was a bike path over to the, the beach there. And a few times we would have this event for just men where we would go and we would create this big circle in the sand and it would be one guy versus another guy and it became like this wrestling thing and you just had to push the man out of the circle. And it was kind of this experience of tapping into the warrior mentality of a man um, that we don't really get to experience much in today's society. And I think it's kind of interesting watching this movie now and understanding that when we we as men are placed into a physical environment like that there's something and i'm not saying this is for everybody but for myself and the personal experience that i have there's something about being physical and aggressive in a way in a healthy way that can bring something positive out of men and i think that at its core there is something positive about fight club and there's something real about why these men kept coming back and so i just thought it would be i thought it was interesting to to share that because i have somewhat of a similar history um, with something like fight club again it taps into our instinctual behavior and it's not necessarily a bad thing to express that every once in a while what do you think rick oh definitely you got first of all bark you gotta watch out You're getting canceled bark you're a white man we're talking about talking about white men right now Rick, we haven't even put a podcast out and we're going to get canceled. It's fine. <laughs> and like, I like to think that like we can talk about all sorts of issues and like just give opinions on a lot of things at the podcast. And in the end, it's like, of course, it's like there's a lot of things at Fight Club that is utterly ridiculous. I mean, if men are absolutely beating the shit out of each other under a club, <laughs> that is like it's extreme. And like, I think that's the purpose of movies, right? Yeah. No one's going to a movie to see something that's so mundane right like it's it's extreme and that's the purpose it's it's to cause a reaction it's to cause controversy it's to cause like thoughts and like opinions and all of these things right i think it's to show these extreme takes on situations on critiques of society so that the message can really be honed in for the audience yeah but i i want to get back to that point of there is a reason why men keep coming back right mm -hmm. this is it is absolutely insane fight club is insane it's like it's it ins it's like this weird ideology that they created but there's a reason why men are going back to it and i know that's the like point of the movie and it's like of course like i'm sure there's like random fight club-esque stuff happening today but in the end it's like everyone i'm not even gonna say just men like everyone wants to feel connected everyone wants to feel loved everyone wants to feel meaning and a lot of times like that can be tied into the wrong the wrong things and the wrong ideals 
totally. Well, Park, we're on a soapbox, if you will. Uh, soap. We were on the soapbox, if you will, for a, for a while there. It's a good joke there, Rick. Oh, uh, no. I want to get into the, the good, bad, and the ugly, as we usually do. Mm-hmm. So what would you like about the movie, Park? There's a lot to like about this movie, Rick. So some of the goods, the story itself, uh, it's such a compelling story that leaves the viewers amazed and shocked throughout. It just really hooks you in, just with the premise of it in general and the characters. Which brings me to another thing that I really like, were the characters themselves. Edward Norton's The Narrator is such a three-dimensional character. There's so many pieces about him that are so unique to watch and try to learn and understand. Just the idea that someone goes to different like therapy groups, even though there's nothing wrong with him on paper, just to like feel something. That's such an interesting character to follow. Yeah, like there's nothing for like there's nothing that fits his like need or desire. So he's trying to figure out. So he's trying to fit into other people's groups. I know. <laughs> and then uh, on the flip side, you have Marla, who's also an incredibly ca- compelling character, kind of in the same vein as Edward Norton's The Narrator. I had seen this movie before, so I knew the twist that was coming. I knew that Tyler Durden was a split personality, was actually Edward Norton's character, but. Watching it this time, I really tried to watch Marla's story and, like, understand her perspective, knowing that all the Tyler Durden interactions are Edward Norton. And she plays that so well. And the big revelation when he calls her, he's like, are we making love? Are we having sex together? And she's like, you love me, you hate me. You're with me, you're in it. It's like just the interactions they have where clearly they were ha- like, she was having sex with Tyler Durden in the house. And then that next morning he's sitting at the table and he's like, what are you doing here? Oh, no. And just like how she interacts with that, it's so natural and it works so well. And it's, it's chef's kiss. So there's something about that there, though, too, that also is a tribute to, like, like toxic masculinity, mm. right? Like, that is a line that, like, we even hear that today. It's like, oh, we just, we had sex last night, now you're pretending like I'm not even here. You're pretending like it was a piece of meat or you used me. Yeah. And it's like, and it, that, is, that is a toxic part of our culture. Like, that is toxic masculinity. It's so extreme in her case, but it's probably words that she said before, that she said the same thing. Like, the same thing, like, you love me, you hate me, and all this stuff, like... It's probably not her first time saying that because, like, there's a lot of toxic aspects to this. The last thing that I'll just go into major overarching good is the twist itself. I mean, so well done. It, it seems so obvious watching the second time where Tyler Durden is flickering just for, like, a second in the first act before he appears and just all the information that is given in the dialogue and exchange back and forth of how these two align so much in so many ways. The seeds were sown very well to allow this twist to work the way that it does. So I have to put that in itself in the good category. I feel like my good is, it's all on the same line, so I don't want to rehash it. In the end, I think this like masterfully does that like untrustworthy like narrator. There's so many movies of this like, the narrator being the frame of view of like this personality that you can't like trust, right? Like we see it in a lot of movies. You can make an argument that Forrest Gump is that. I think it masterfully does that, and I think it honestly, it set the stage for so many movies. Like, the 2019 Joker is so similar to Fight Club. I could probably, like, list out a lot of movies that have this, like, narrator aspect that's, like, very similar. 
even like personally for me, I've been writing a feature film script that revolves around an unreliable narrator. And I went to this screenplay and I went back and watched this film and certain scenes from this film multiple times just to study it and understand it so that I could incorporate it into my own story. Because the bedrock and the foundation is so strong here that so many movies, like you say, now take that foundation and make twists and have their own takes on it. But it's done so well that movies are aspiring to be like it now. Yes. I mean, all great movies do that. Look at Quentin Tarantino. Every movie he does takes so much inspiration from movies of the past. And he twists it or he puts his own mark on it. And that's what great filmmakers do. Every type of story has been told. Everything has been done to this point. It's how you're going to put your unique take, message, and twist on things. As a filmmaker, as someone who, if, if you're someone who wants to make films, one of the best things you can do is study these great films and learn from them so that you can go and use that in your own way. Because, like, whether you like this movie or not, whether you think this is awful, toxic masculinity, like, why am I watching this? Why is this such, like, a... Like, why is this movie still brought up today? Or, like, whether you absolutely love this movie, this is a masterclass in the unreliable narrator perspective. It's an absolute masterclass in story arc and characters, like, characters with so much depth. I probably like it more than we, I like Psycho that we watched earlier in the year. Psycho, I think, set a standard for uh, slasher movies. And I think it set a standard for kind of these, like, even just, I guess, like, psycho movies, right? Um, there's a lot of movies that take, that take elements of that. I know we've seen The Unreliable, Unreliable Narrator before in 1999. I think this did The Unreliable Narrator perfectly. And I think that there is a lot of movies that are, are inspired of this. Totally. Park, what sucks? What sucks about the movie? Rick, I really don't have a whole lot of bad, and I don't have any uglies from this movie. The one thing I wrote down is when you start dissecting the split personality situation, it becomes a little, like, muggy. Like, if you think too deeply into it and how it would play out, it, it's a little confusing. But it's also left somewhat ambiguous for good reason, just because we don't want to get watered down in all of those details. We know they have a split personality. We know that he is Tyler Durden, and that's just how it is. And you don't need to sit there and think about, well, wait, okay, but what about how is he doing this when he's in this room and, and stuff like that? It is what it is. It's a movie, and, and there's only so many ways to portray that. And this movie, at the end, does a really great job, I think. But I put that in as a bad just because it is a little confusing the more you think about it. But it's it's like, that's that's a stretch. It's what people would call like a plot hole today. And, like, I think there are plot holes that are convenient for absolute, like, minute, meaningless details that have nothing to do with the overall message and overall story of the movies. And there's, like, plot holes that are, like, why was this never brought up? There's so many movies of plot holes that, like, it just actually has to do with the main plot. Or it's, like, that has nothing to do with the main plot. And, like, again, like, could they have done it a little better? Maybe. But it didn't affect the message at all. Park again. As we've been with every single movie we've watched, I've been absolutely disgusted by something, Park. No film's perfect, Park. No film is perfect, Rick. And this leads me, as everything does, to the food review that so far is only like 10% food. Generally, it has not been food. Park, I'm talking about Starbucks. Hmm. I went and got Starbucks today. Look at this. First of all, I don't even know what the heck that is. Is it a mermaid? What is Starbucks? I never, I didn't do my research. I don't give a crap. I went to Starbucks today, Park. But I actually go to Starbucks. I went to a grocery store. I had a little Starbucks stand in there. Got my Starbucks. It's ridiculously overpriced. 
it's kind of funny like you go into a starbucks you go in any store and i, I feel like everything they sell too and like maybe i'm just seeing it now as like after i watched a movie that was anti-consumerism it's like oh we have buy this reusable mug buy this reusable cup by look it's easter edition you get five reusable cups for forty dollars and it's pretty much like pushing you in the face like you're bad if you if you're just throwing this you're throwing this away if you're not buying our 349 reusable cup and you're just taking this paper that you're gonna throw in the garbage you're a bad person park you better spend 350 give us three 350 right now or you are awful rick you know the moment i saw you get a paper cup i knew that you were one of the worst humans on the planet Park, that's what I feel. But I didn't I didn't want to spend three fifty, Park. I'm sorry. I spent I think I spent five dollars on this. I wanted oat milk, Park. Oat milk is not seventy cents. I put oat milk in this bad boy. I spent seventy cents for oat milk. You're such a civilized man. I, I didn't want cow milk, man. I wanted it I wanted it from the teats of the oats. That's really great, Rick. I think that's really beautiful. I think um, we should all aspire to have milk from the teats of the oat. To the actual food review, so it is Starbucks. I think Starbucks is overpriced crap. Amazing branding. The director of this movie has even said that the Starbucks branding is incredible. And like when he was writing the movie, it was like recently when we moved to LA, it was when Starbucks was first becoming huge and his Starbucks was everywhere. And it was like the first, like you could get like a decent cup of coffee and it was always going to taste kind of the same, right? That's, I mean, that's a chain restaurant. Like that's Chili's. Chili's is everywhere. Chili's is, yeah, like it's Chili's. It's like, you know? It's like it's good, but it's it's chilies. It's chilies. There's nothing there's nothing superior about chilies. It's just It's chilies. Yeah. <laughs> so I think but like Starbucks says it so well of like this is it's mediocre, but like it's Starbucks. Their TikToker personalities based around Starbucks, Parker. So it's been debunked. People claim that there is a Starbucks cup in every single scene of the movie. Um I know flashback for uh Game of Thrones fans, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to see Starbucks in your scenes. I understand. I'm sorry. But Rick, let's be let's be honest. We haven't been down every street corner of King's Landing. There could be a Starbucks hiding somewhere in the in King's Landing. There could be Starbucks. Starbucks is everywhere, Park. I wouldn't put it past them. Starbucks is expanding like nothing else, Rick. They're in every country, every world. They're there, Rick. I have no doubt in my mind that they're somewhere in King's Landing. They probably just have a little pop-up shop at the corner. It's like the Barnes & Noble Starbucks. It's the Barnes & Noble Cafe with like a Starbucks face on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Starbucks cups are seen highly throughout the movie. There's a scene in the movie for Project Mayhem. We don't talk about Project Mayhem, Park, mm. but I'm going to talk about it. Rick, we are breaking so many rules. We're breaking so many rules. This is the most probably overused joke for any journalist who's ever talked about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> They're blowing up this uh, like ball sculpture, and then it rolls down a hill and smashes like, an overpriced chain uh, like coffee joint, which it was intended to be Starbucks. So they asked Starbucks if they could like use Starbucks like that. They could just destroy the Starbucks franchise right there. Starbucks said no, but they were okay with everything else. So they put Starbucks in everywhere. So, like, it's literally the face in the movie of, like, way too much consumer product. It plays on the subliminal messaging of products. Like, with the last sort of, like, Blue Velvet, it's like, oh, I want to get a Heineken because he's just drinking Heineken. Heineken means he's, like, a good college boy. Let me drink Heineken. It's just all this, like, subliminal messaging of, like, get, choose my products, but they, like, oversaturated in there. I'd like to think that David Fincher just went to Starbucks every day and got his coffee, and then he was like, there's no trash by me at Video Village. Let me just put my cup in the shot somewhere and that was why there's a starbucks cup all over the place or like the only the only food trailers or like drink trailers he ever brought was just pop-up starbucks that was on the <laughs> set <laughs> halfway through the movie he realizes that it's in so many scenes he's like you know what maybe i got something here i'll just there's meaning to this starbucks 
Starbucks equals bad. Rick, we're never gonna get advertisement by Starbucks now. Guys, just go to your local damn coffee shops. Or be like me, don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. Rick, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? Oh, Park, I, was a, I will say I was a Starbucks man for a long time. Rick, get out of here. I feel like we've been like overly serious this podcast. We give a lot of like really like thoughtful, meaningful critiques. In the end, if our audience wants to listen to some like white narcissist break down movies, there's millions of those on YouTube. Yeah. Just Google like YouTube, like, like movie critique of Fight Club. Guarantee 10 results in a row will just be like white dudes. We run the world. Oh, Park. <laughs> brutal, brutal comment, Park. Women won't run the world. You're right, you're right, you're right. Let's get into some questions, Park. Let's dive deep into some questions. These are directly from the movie. They started their fight club. They're getting hyped about it. If you could fight any celebrity, who would you fight? Rick, hands down, no question about it. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Balboa. I would get my face... I think I would have an indent right here for the rest of my life. But to be able to say I fought Rocky Balboa, that would be peak everything. I feel like you would stand a chance because you could tap out anytime. He couldn't keep beating you up. <laughs> it's true. I keep throwing one punch and my tap out would be my knockout as I slam against the ground. <laughs> Park, there's no shirts, no shoes. So you got, I think you got a little bit of a chance there with that one. Oh, Rick, you, you better believe it. Park, you're not going to believe who I would fight. Rick, who would you fight? I would fight Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Rick, great pick. Great pick. You're going to punch him because of all those... I want, no, I want this fight. It doesn't say anywhere in the rules that you can't play music. I want me and Hans to be in there with Hans' soundtrack playing from Inception. And I'm going to... Leonardo DiCaprio, his ass, just like the bear and the other Leonardo DiCaprio movie that he... The Revenant. The Revenant, thank you. Or maybe he'll beat me because I think he'll use music to an advantage. (laughs) He'll gain power from his musical (laughs) scores and themes running through his veins. I feel like since he just said that, um, our question is, if you could add one rule to Fight Club, what would your rule be? Would playing music behind every fight be your rule? Yeah, I think it needs to be the previous winner... Like, will we give you able to, like, pick a, pick the music? Kind of like that, like, walkout music to, like, UFC fights. So, like, you pick their walkout music. But I think that the the new the newbies... Newbies still have to fight. We're leaving those in the rules. If you're new, first time a fight club, you gotta fight. I think that they have to fight to... They have to fight to Spongebob. They can pick their favorite cartoon soundtrack. I'm a goofy goober. That's a good one. We're all goofy goobers. Yeah. There is the episode that he's trying to get into the club, but he has to go to Weenie Hunt Juniors. <laughs> he but he's to trying Weenie to get Hunt to like Juniors. the he's trying to get to the club and like they're the bouncer at the line. I think he like asks like, "What did you have for breakfast?" So I ate a a bowl of nails or yeah. something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the Fight Club, dude. SpongeBob he felt the need. He felt meanie. He wanted to go to Fight Club. Brad Pitt was in there. Well, Rick, if you're gonna have music, I'm gonna have dancing. <laughs> Fuck, we got a surprise later. <laughs> I know. I, I I think I know where this is going, Rick. But um, if we're going to have some music in there, I think after everyone fights, you know, they're all bloody, they're all beaten, they got to pop, lock, and drop it a little bit, you know? Dude, I think if that was, like, the point of Fight Club, I think Kevin Bacon would be Brad Pitt's character. He'd kill it, too. No question about it. Okay, well, let's do one last question, Park. One last question. If you could fight any historical figure, who would you fight? 
Oh my gosh. This is so tough, Park. Historical figure. I'm like thinking presidents, but like, do I really want to fight a freaking president? Tyler Durden wanted to. I definitely want to fight someone like beloved, though. Like, I want to, I don't want to fight someone bad, like me and like whatever. Like, I want to fight like, like Gandhi is an incredible answer that he gave in the movie. A part of me just wants to say JFK. I don't actually know if he, I never was alive for that time. Was he beloved? I don't even know. Yeah, let's go. I'm gonna go JFK. JFK. Yep. Rick, this is gonna be dicey because I think that this is a great man but I would be very interested to go into hand-to-hand -hand combat against him, and that would be Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Rick, he did so many great things for the South African co uh, country and the community, but, you know, let's just get a little fisticuffs in there. I want to see what Nelson can do with him. Would you do it, like, with our added rules, with music and dancing? <laughs> yes, yes, Rick. <laughs> because I think if I somehow could beat him in hand-to-hand -hand combat, I, I think he would still whoop my butt at a dance contest. You probably would, man. I think you would. We have a special quiz I heard this week, Mark. I don't know if you want to introduce it. We do. We do have a special quiz. We went all the way over to our friends at BuzzFeed. <laughs> you know, they were really... <laughs> They're so kind to us, BuzzFeed. They're so they were generous. so good. They were so kind to set this whole thing up for us. Um, they, they're really great business partners. Um, and we have a quiz by them that is, I am Jack's complete lack of surprise that some of y'all completely missed the point of Fight Club. So that's what, the, that's what the quiz is called, Rick. Before we get into the quiz part, don't you think that BuzzFeed has the best social commentary in any media today? Rick, no. <laughs> but I won't, I won't tell you why. Uh, that's fine. If you as a podcast listener want to know my, my why to that, You'll have to stick around for another 132 episodes. On episode 137, I will tell you why BuzzFeed is not the greatest. Okay, on that same episode, I will tell you why it is. You guys have a lot to look forward to in 132 episodes. Let's dive into this quiz, Rick. I'm, Let's just dive in. I'm ready to jump in. You know how in cartoons how they jump off those high boards and they land in the little cups of water? I'm about to land in that little cup of water. I got a little splash coming for you. Are you ready? Dude, I'm just trying to sit down and just soak in this quiz, you know? Here's splash number one. Let's start off with a fun one. What kind of movie do you think Fight Club is? Coming of age, a modern day manifesto we should all aim to emulate. 100% a satire. A critique on society. Rick, I think it's a critique on society. What do you think? I agree with you, and I wish there was a center for this. I think it's both a critique on society and a satire. Because I think that people like, take it too seriously. I'm going to go towards critique of society. Well, Rick, why don't you do satire because I'm doing society. Okay, let's do it. All right, question number two. Marla Singer is a yes girl, a representation of the narrator's guilt, the woman of my dreams, a tragic character. <laughs> this is a tough one. I feel like I couldn't even have a comment. I would consider her a tragic character, more in the sense of tragic for her and what she's being strung along into. Yeah, I think, dude, she's her own girl. She's not a representation of the area's guilt. I, so I don't think that's wrong. Also, when he, when I said the yes girl, I just thought of the Jason Derulo song, It Girl. Like, you could be my <laughs> it girl, you know? I'm going to go, I'm going to go yes girl. Why not? Let's be different. We're, the di we're different, but we're the same, remember? All right, Tyler Durden is a false prophet. The solution to an apathetic society. My hero, Hot. Fuck, I, I hit hot with no hesitation. Rick, he's my hero, no hesitation. <laughs> what non-Fight Club character would you associate with Tyler? 
Tom Hansen from 500 Days of Summer, Arthur Fleck from Joker, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, or Clementine Krasinski from Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. So I want to make a, a point that this is Tyler, like this is Tyler, not the narrator. That's what it's coming off as, yes. Okay, so if it's Tyler, I'm actually going to go with Tom Hansen from 500 Days of Summer. I'm going to go with Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. One, to be different, but mainly to be different. Arthur Fleck and Patrick Bateman are a little too extreme for even Tyler Durden. But See, I think that's more like the narrator. Like, I think the narrator, maybe. But anyways, let's do the next question. After watching Fight Club, did you want to start or join a fight club? Yes, 100%. Not even thinking about it. I'm doing, no, I'm not a violent person, but maybe they are on something. What plot point made you start questioning Tyler? None. He totally had the right idea the whole time. When I realized that he was the one who blew up the narrator's apartment, first time I saw him and heard him talk, I didn't trust him. The lie on the hand chemical burn scene. I would probably start questioning him at the chemical burn scene because that happens before the apartment blow up. That that gets a little wild. I I get his I I I still get his psyche behind it, but that's a little extreme, Rick, don't you think? I do think so. I'm actually gonna go first time I saw him and talk to him because there is like an immediate line when he's leaving that conversation where he says something about when, you, when you're moving past someone, do you show your ass or your crotch? And when he moves past the character, he like does it so his behind is facing the character. And then he moves past a stewardess on a plane or a flight attendant, as I guess they are known as, not stewardess. Uh, and he does it with crotch first on the plane. I knew, I knew what this man was about. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, that's, I didn't trust him. Project Mayhem was a literal terrorist group. Terrorist? <laughs> it's a literal terrorist group. A radical cult built on toxic, hyper-masculine ideologies. The answer to all materialistic society. A cool club that took things a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, it's a cool club that took things a little too far. Come on, you can't, you can't deny that. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna, I guess I'll do terror. I'm gonna go terrorist group. Okay, they're terrorist group. Gosh, I'm just mumbling and bumbling today. Sorry to our audio listeners. That's all right, Rick. It's just our, us and my wife. No one else is listening. Robert Paulson's death was, his name is Robert Paulson. Completely avoidable. A selfless act of martyrdom. A reminder that ideas and beliefs can have real consequences. His name is Robert Paulson. Yeah, that's what you're going with? Got to. I think it could be a couple of these. I think it could have completely been avoidable, and I think it's a reminder that ideas and beliefs can have real consequences. I'm just going to go with avoidable, because it all should have been avoidable. Also, rip meatloaf. How did you feel about the end of the movie? It was happy. It was sad. But where is my mind goes off, though? It was bittersweet away. I don't even know. I just hope nobody was in any of those buildings. (laughs) So I do have a quick comment here. I think the last scene of this movie, Park, and this is going to be crazy. I think it's one of the greatest last scenes of any movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's because of that song. It's a banger, Park. Where is my mind at that moment? He's like, I also love how he's so casual about it at the end. He's like, you came into my life at a weird time. And then all the buildings start collapsing. It's like, where is my mind? Banger. It's true. It's true. I, I would say it was a happy ending, Rick. Because the guy gets the girl, and he learns to go beyond his own selfish ambitions and desires. And it's just like, it's getting, like, our financial system's going to hell anyways. Yeah, it's going to get there one way or another. 
So it's, it's, it's that's faster. Let's start off now. You know? <laughs> yeah, just get it out of the way. So I wish there was like it was happy, and where's my mind is a banger. Um, I'm you know, I'm, but because where's my mind? Mwah, park. Bon appetit. I think I have to go with it was sad. Where's my mind goes off though. It's really about the music. Yes, the music and the girl. No, no other meaning to Fight Club. Rick, last question I got for you here, and finally, any last thoughts? Fight Club is one of my favorite movies, and I'll interpret it however I want to. It's just a movie. It's not that deep. People should really read the book. The themes are way more evident. People who take Fight Club at face value worry me. I'm going to go with people who take Fight Club at face value worry me. Because I think it's like I think it's deeper than that. Um, I think if you're just saying, like, hey, would you just start up a Fight Club? Or, or people that are interpreting it as this movie is just toxic and shitty because it's just people that want to just fight and, like, Brad Pitt's their hero. I'm going to go with the first one. Fight Club is one of my favorite movies. It's definitely in my top 25 of all time, so I'm going to click that one. I'll go first. Park, I am happy. You know what? Why is that? Because I got it. You got it, bud. <laughs> There's hope for humanity yet. You watched Fight Club, maybe even read the book, and didn't get swept away in Brad Pitt's pseudo-philosophical, it's big word, machismo, machismo? I'm not a poet, I'm sorry. Tyler Durden isn't the hero of the story. It was never meant to be emulated, but we do not have to tell you that, do we? You want to guess what I got? I think you got it too, bud. Rick, I completely missed the point. <laughs> Come on, dude! <laughs> I think Fight Club Rewatch might be in order, but this time, maybe think of it less as a cool action movie meant to be emulated, and more of a critique on hypermasculinity as a solution to a failing capitalist society. Park, I am pissed. We're a movie podcast, Park. We should have both got it, bud. I like the bud at the end. Rick, you know, feel good. you know, Rick, I think I'm just an agent of chaos. I think I got it, but I just want to pick the fun answers, Rick. I don't know, it's the fun answers. So there you go. I have a special surprise. Rick, I love your special surprises. So I asked AI, Park, artificial intelligence, the hottest thing right now. I asked AI to make content for us because I am a white, unoriginal man. I can't make content, so I'm asking a robot to do it. So I asked AI, I said, give me a couple scenes of a parody of Fight Club called Dance Club. So, Parker, I got a nice, hot, fresh-off-the-press script from us. Rick, this was such a fun thing to do a couple weeks ago that we just had to come back around to it. Let us know how you like our script reading. I think we're quickly realizing that this is a strength of ours. Let us know if we should just drop this and go become actors. It's true. I'm going to both be kind of the narrator and, like, also, I guess, the some of the, like, stage direction that's on there, or, like, the setting, if you will. And you're going to be Tyler. I feel like you have to be Tyler. Okay. Sounds good. So we fade in, Bark, into our dance club. The club is packed with people dancing to a pulsing beat. The narrator, a mild-mannered man, stands on the edge of the dance floor, watching the scene with a mixture of fascination and horror. People are dancing like their lives depend on it. And in a way, they did. This is a dance club, the hottest spot in town. It was a way to escape the mundane reality of everyday life. Suddenly, a figure emerges from the crowd. It's Tyler Jordan, a charismatic, unpredictable man. Hey, man, you look like you could use a dance partner. I don't really know how to dance. That's the point, man. You don't have to know how to dance. You just have to feel it. Let go of your inhibitions and move your body. I don't know if I can do it. Of course you can. You just have to find your rhythm. Here, let me show you. 
Tyler grabs the narrator's hands and starts to move them in time with the music. The narrator feels self-conscious at first, but starts to loosen up. It was strange, but for the first time in my life I felt free. The music was like a drug, and I was hooked. Tyler keeps dancing, encouraging the narrator to let go and follow his lead. You see, man? This is what it's all about. This is Dance Club. No rules, no limits, just pure expression. But what about the violence? Violence? Who said anything about violence? This is a different kind of club. We dance our problems away. And at that moment, I knew he was right. Dance Club was more than just a place to party. It was a way of life. The two men kept dancing, lost in the music, fade out. And we fade back in Woo! to an abandoned warehouse later that night. Tyler Durden stands in front of a large group of eager dancers. He holds a piece of paper in his hands and clears his throat. <coughs> Welcome to Dance Club. Before we begin, I need to go over the rules. He reads from the paper. Rule number one of Dance Club. You do not talk about Dance Club. The dancers nod in agreement. Rule number two. You do not talk about Dance Club. The dancers nod again, some of them mouthing the words along with Tyler. Rule number three. If someone says stop or goes limp, taps out the beat, or falls off the rhythm, the dance is over. <laughs> A dancer raises his hand. Wait, what does taps out to the beat mean? It means if someone's rhythm is off, they have to admit it and sit the rest of the song out. The dancer nods, satisfied with the answer. Rule number four, only two dancers to a dance. A couple of dancers look disappointed, but Tyler holds up a hand. Hey, it's not about hooking up guys. <laughs> it's about the dance. Rule number five, one song at a time, dancers. Rule number six, no shoes, no shirt, no problem. The dancers cheer, shedding their shoes and jackets. And finally... Rule number seven. The dance will go on as long as it has to. The dancers nod, ready to lose themselves to the music. Are you ready to dance? The dancers cheer and start moving to the beat. It was like Fight Club, but without the bruises. Dance Club was a way to unleash our primal instincts, to feel alive in a world that often felt dead. The camera pans out and the dancers continue to move, lost in the moment, fade out. Rick, what a beautiful image. Fark, I felt you could add this scene to both this parody of Fight Club Dance Club, or I just feel like we just like saw a lost script of Footloose. This is actually the first draft of Footloose. Like the lines kind of feel like it's like Kevin Bacon after he just did cocaine. Oh, for sure. I like to think the AI based this off of my life. I deal with these things, these scenarios every day. There is one more thing we have to do. Would you pass or recommend this movie? Rick, I think it's an easy one. I would totally 100% pass this movie. Park. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Rick, recommend 100%. Fantastic movie. Top 25 movie of all time for me. Uh, highly recommend to anyone and everyone unless you have a small child in the room. Park, you, you terrified me there. I didn't like, right when you said pass, I didn't think we were going to continue this podcast. I thought this would be the last episode. I only said it because I wanted to see your reaction. And I'm not going to lie, it was a little disappointing. You didn't have as big of a reaction I was I was hoping for. Well, Park, I think it's no surprise I'm going to recommend this movie. Yippee, I think this is a critically a good movie. I think, honestly, I think anyone that's just going to pass this movie doesn't like movies. They probably watch every single Marvel movie that comes out. 
They probably think Ant-Man was a great movie. Yeah, the recent Ant-Man. Again, as you said, like, if a child, like, obviously someone has to be of age. That's every single movie that we're going to talk about. We're not reviewing Sesame Street. Sesame Street, honestly, probably is Fight Club. So, everything is Fight Club in a way, or if everything is not Fight Club in a way, find your own club. We're all fighting. We're all fighting, Park. Every day. The question is, are you in a club or not? And what are you fighting for? Rick, our next movie is Mystic River. Mystic River. Moving into the 2000s, we're finally getting to that modern day and age in this century now, Rick. It's feeling good. It's feeling fresh. I'm excited. I have never seen Mystic River before. Neither have I. If you want to watch Mystic River and you want a thoughtful interpretation and like talk about it, as I said before, go to search it on YouTube. If you want to join us in watching this, though, we'll be back. This has been Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Thanks so much for listening and we hope to see you back next week. Remember, don't talk about Fight Club. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.